Who is this man is our theme for this year. We're studying the Gospels and specifically Matthew's Gospel and the life of Jesus, who he is, what he did, how, what he says, how can we follow him and be more like Jesus? Today, the theme of two stories that just come back to back, the end of Matthew chapter 8 and the beginning of chapter 9, we find that he is the king who cares about you. There's something remarkable that is displayed in how Jesus interacted with some severe circumstances with people that he encountered, and the message that I received from it, he reveals himself as the king, the, the God of the universe, who's able to forgive sins, to heal people, to set the captive free, and he cares about you and he cares about me. He's the king that's very personal, and it's not just this wide panorama that he's looking over, but he's looking over me and he's looking over you and has the ability to pour out his spirit into our lives. That's the takeaway for today. And with this Memorial Day weekend, I wanted to just give that highlight special recognition that it's more than a day off that we have tomorrow and a barbecue opportunity, although I love that. In fact, I went to a meat market yesterday and got my favorite meat to barbecue, so I'm ready for the day tomorrow. Memorial Day began shortly after the Civil War ended in 1865. Historians tell us that this war, the Civil War, claimed more lives than any other conflict in our American history. It was originally called Decoration Day. Families and friends would go to cemeteries and decorate the grave sites with flowers, and it became known as that. It was the title of it, it was Decoration Day. After World War I, Memorial Day became a day to honor all military individuals that had given their lives, served during wartime. That now includes all of these conflicts, World War I, World War II, the Korean War, Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan, the current conflicts that we've been living through. In 1971, it became a national holiday that was held on the last Monday in May, and it's become that now for us since then. And here we are on this Memorial Day weekend. It's a great time for relaxing with family and friends. We always look forward to an extra day that hopefully you might be able to have. Some people still have to work, but they usually compensate with some day off for this holiday. As we enjoy our time off and be with family and friends, the important word that I wanted to stress today, let's make sure we take time to pause and reflect on what it's about. It's not just for our enjoyment, it's for our sober recognition that what we have and what we can celebrate, the freedoms that we have, are not free. They come at a great cost, and many people have paid the ultimate price, giving of their life so that we could be here right now and worship freely with no concern, no stresses about whether we can do this or not. This is beautiful, and we have liberty in our country because of the effort that's been put forth over the years. Let's remember those who have given their lives so that we could have ours in this moment. Matthew chapter 8, the end of this chapter beginning at verse 28, gives us a remarkable story. 
And when he came to the other side, this is taking off from what we read last week with the great storm on the Sea of Galilee when Jesus, they woke him up, he calmed the sea and the storm. Now they finished their trip to the other side of the lake. When they came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Crazy story. Here, these demons get cast into a herd of pigs that reminded me of what I've seen advertised, deviled ham. This was the first true deviled ham in the experience of, I just made that up, I don't know, so. Here's the first thought of this story. Even demons know who their Lord and judge is. Look back at verse 28. And when he came to the other side, the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs. They were living among the tombs. It was a dark place, and they were so fierce, no one could pass that way. They were violent. The demons that possessed these men gave them supernatural power. They were not in their right mind, and no one would even walk through the region because of them. They were afraid of them. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? This is wild. Even demons know who their Lord and judge is. When these men cried out, it was the demons speaking through them. What have you to do with us, O Son of God? The demons recognized Jesus. And they identify who he is. There are people who have not decided who to follow spiritually that don't recognize Jesus. It's interesting to know that the enemy who is the antithesis of God's love and favor and grace, the devil and those demons from angels of heaven that were cast out of heaven along with Satan when he wanted to be like God, these demon spirits are real, and they're trying to keep humans, us, you and me, from trusting in Jesus, trying to keep us blinded that we don't recognize him. All the while, the demon spirits that are at work know who he is. It's quite an interesting thought. As soon as they see him, they're like, it's him. What do you have to do with us, son of God? Evil spirits in their power are real. Let's back up just to a little bit of the history we have from the Bible to understand this great division of powers. 
God had created angels in heaven. They're described beautiful, glorious. And then there's a description of Lucifer who decides he was a very exalted angel, had a beautiful opportunity to dwell with God and celebrate his glory forever. But somehow, because God, what he creates, he doesn't create with some inanimate sensibility, but he gives us spirit, he gives us thought, he gives us ability to choose. So even here where these exalted angels are with God, they can see him in all of his glory, they still have ability to choose, and this one decided he wanted to be like God. You can find it in Isaiah 14. It tells us there that he said, I will make myself like the Most High. Well, that's not possible. People still are trying to think of themselves more than we should sometimes. And we are better off to realize that God has made us and he's made us special, he's made us beautiful, and we can step into that beauty and into that sensibility. But when we start thinking that we know more than God, that we've got more wisdom than he's got, we're in trouble. And we're not gonna have the fellowship that God wants us to have with him at that point. Lucifer is the prime example, so he gets thrown out of heaven. Luke 10 and verse 18 says, and he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. When Lucifer says, I wanna be like the most high, that's not possible, it wasn't a big battle. They didn't go to blows for days and see who's gonna win. It was a very quick skirmish God says you need to be out. I, he can't fellowship with this rebellion. And he can't have someone thinking that he's going to usurp God's power and authority. So he cast him out of heaven and he fell like lightning. It was just quick, like boom, it's over. You've seen lightning, how quick that is. It's just a flash. It gets your attention if you ever see it in the horizon, like, oh, I think I saw some lightning. Then there it is again, and it's just quick. He fell like lightning from heaven. Revelation 12 describes that he, he didn't go alone. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon. This is speaking of the devil himself. With seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. This is speaking of this great dragon, the devil, when he was cast out, his tail, there were a third of the angels in heaven, it says here, who were swept out with him. They followed him. A third of the angels were like, I think I'm gonna choose Lucifer over God. And they were cast out as swiftly as Lucifer himself. Interesting, as we just do the math, a third of those, so there's a third of all the angels that are now demon spirits so even the odds are good. We actually don't need good odds when we follow God. He's all powerful by himself, but had the sense of two thirds of the angels remain as angels, ministering angels. We see God speak about that in his word, how we have angels that watch over us. I wish we could see, there's Old Testament stories where God opened the eyes of the leaders to see that there were more with them than there were with the enemy. Who were those that were with them? It was angels. 
And they had armies of angels watching over them and helping fight their battles for them and with them. If we could see, we would actually be able to notice angels are in this room right now. I actually like to think about this occasionally. We, we tend to not because we live in this temporal world. We can't see the spirit world like that. Yet we can feel it at times. I know there's some places I've been in where it's like, oh, this is weird. It feels weird. It's dark. You walk in a store or something like that, it's got some weird spirits in it. And trying to figure out what, why does that feel strange? Actually, we're just having a sensitivity to the spirit realm. There's other places that feel joyful. Man, this feels great. It feels like lightness. It feels like joy. We can't always calculate what's going on, but the reality is we have a sense of spirit because we are spirit as well. Our spirit bears witness with God's spirit and not with the enemy. I wish it were possible that we could actually see in the spirit realm in this room right now. I have a sense of it that we've got a glorious host participating along with us that are worshiping with us and celebrating with us. And I actually get a little tingle just thinking about that. I just, I just got a, do you get those chills sometimes? I just got a chill. I didn't expect it, I just, I just felt it. I got this chill saying that. I just believe that is true. It's, it's given us insights in the scripture about this reality of the spirit realm. So there's a third of the angels got thrown out, cast to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Now he's talking about Mary is giving birth to the son of God and the devil standing watch thinking he's going to destroy that child when the child is born. We then also learn about Jesus' birth and King Herod felt threatened hearing about this supposed king being born and he decrees that all the male children two years of age and under should be killed. This is the devil standing by like, I'm gonna wipe him out before he gets started, but he doesn't have that power. He thinks he does. He's very cunning and does a lot of damage. Very destructive, the devil seeks, roams about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's come to kill, steal, and destroy. This is the devil's work. We live in a world where we should be able to be more discerning about what we're up against. There's evil and there's demon spirits. Sometimes you see things happen and go, I can't get this. Like, why is this happening? This is just pure darkness and inhumane. There are people, humans, who have absolute darkness in them. What is that? Demon spirits that are controlling their thinking and their behaviors. What's the Holocaust? Six million Jewish people exterminated from the earth. How does that, how do people do that to other people? How do humans wrangle up tens and dozens and hundreds and put them in transports and not feed them and watch them become emaciated and throw them into ovens. How does one human do this to another human? To see these things, I've been to Dachau, literally been there. I've been to Holocaust museums in Israel. And when you see the pictures and the sights and the scenes, it's staggering, it's hard to even wrap your head. I, I like to get out of there because it's easier to not contemplate it. How does this happen? 
It's just pure evil. There's no other, there's no other explanation. It's demon powers that control the mind and the heart of humans who have not recognized the glory of God and his love and how awesome he is and that the king of the universe is for you when you realize that and you say yes to him. Suddenly you have his grace and power to overcome the evil that's still against you. I know I've got an enemy that's still against me. Temptations, things that I have impulses to do. I've got to figure out how to submit my heart to God and realize the enemy's trying to trip me up here. I want to trust him to give me power over the dark one who's trying to mess with me. And even when we stumble and fall, God's grace is so great. He's not putting us down. He wants to put the demons down. He wants to put the real spirit of evil down. He wants to lift you up. God is all about eliminating evil from you and pouring out his grace and his kingdom and his glory to you and in you. He wants to give us a great exchange. And here he does this in these demon spirits. Recognize it's him. What are you doing here, oh, son of God? Demons know who Jesus is. It'd be great if we could get a better clue. And when we see him, be attracted to him and love him and let him control our heart and mind and spirit and give us a sensitivity to the fact that the evil one is evil. How do people do the things they do now? How does slavery occur How does Boko Haram murder innocents in Africa? How do these things happen? How does the Tulsa massacre happen 100 years ago? How do these things happen? Pure evil, demon powers that want to kill, steal, and destroy while God wants to redeem us from all this mess. And when we see these things happen, we had murders, in San Jose last week. What is this? What's going on? Nothing new. It's nothing new. It's an old story. It's as old as the universe, as as the earth is. As God created us, evil came to this planet because of a desire to not follow God and then to trip up any human being born. We've got this cosmic battle. It's already won. We need to realize that we can turn our hearts over to Jesus. The kingdom is here already, as well as not yet. Think of this in verse 29. Behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? These demon spirits know there's a time when they will no longer have any influence on the earth. They already know that. So what we see here is that the kingdom is here now. It is already. Jesus has come. We have his kingdom here now. Hallelujah. We have his grace. We have his presence. He's here now. And there's a coming kingdom that's not yet. There's a time when all the evil that is unleashed in the world will be completely controlled and put in its place in hell. That day's coming, and all of the demon powers and Satan himself will be locked up and the keys thrown away, 
Jesus has the keys, and he's going to take care of it. He will. He's got it handled. And you see these demon spirits, here we are 2,000 years ago, and these demon spirits go, well, what are you doing here, O son of God? It's not time yet. It's not time. They're like, we got, we got more time to do our stuff. Fascinating. Jesus values people more than property. This is another lesson of this story. He sets these two men free. He casts these demon spirits out. They were so out of their mind, controlled by evil. All of a sudden, they're free. Jesus can set anyone free, no matter how far gone they are, no matter how much they've been taken over by the evil one. Jesus sets these two men free, and these demons were crying out, they need something to inhabit, and they're like, send us in the pigs, and somehow Jesus says, okay, I'm good with that. And he sends them into the pigs, and they run off into the water, and they're drowned. And what happened to the people? They're like, bummer. We lost our herd. It was their livelihood. Their possessions were lost. And it wasn't anymore thinking about the two men that had their lives completely turned around. We get more concerned about our stuff than we do about the people that God can set free. When we have more concern for the people that God wants to set free and less concern for our possessions, we get into a good space. It's not that possessions are unnecessary or even unneeded or unwanted. God will actually pour out blessings in our lives He's not trying to hinder us from having things, but we get our motives mixed up. This reminded me of Oscar Schindler, Schindler's List. Have you seen that? It's an older movie now, but amazing story where this businessman found a way to harbor Jews so that they wouldn't be killed in a factory and had them labor and They were protected and made safe. And he gets to the end of it, and now these people are free to go, and there's hundreds that are standing around outside the factory when he's ready to leave. And the Jewish man, Itzhak Stern, who had been his right hand helping him accomplish these things, he's having a conversation with, and he's heartbroken, Schindler. I could have done more. I could have done more. And Itzhak is like, oh, you did so much. Oh, but I could have done more. And he hands him, Itzhak hands Schindler a ring, and with it an inscription. And it says, he who saves one life saves the world in time. He who saves one life saves the world in time. Would it be that we could get that spirit? We're all about the next soul who's going to come to know Jesus. If we could save, see Jesus save one more, just one more, this week, one more comes to faith. He who saves one life saves the world in time. It's one at a time, one at a time. If we could just save one, we can save all. That's the spirit of it. It's so true. Let us have that spirit of a Schindler. And as he explains this to him, and we know now that there were 
1,200 Jews spared through this one man's labor. He says, I could have done more. I could have gotten more out. He's about to get in the car to drive away, and he's like, this car. Why did I keep this car? Could have sold it. Could have gotten 10 more people. 10 people, this car. Could have saved 10 people. He had a pin on his lapel made of gold. He takes it off. This pin, the gold, two people. I could have saved two more, at least one. It would have given me at least one more person. I could have gotten one more, and I didn't. And those around him were trying to console him, who had all been saved because of him. But wouldn't it be good if we learned the lesson of the townspeople who were like, Jesus, please don't come back here. We don't want to lose any more of our economy. Why not say, Jesus, please hang around here. There's more people that need to get free like those two dudes. We'll never be afraid of them anymore. They now can contribute well to our society. And we, what we lost, we know you'll return, and he will. We're not going to lose anything that matters. Anything we give up for God, he will give back, and then some. If we could just have a different response than the townspeople who said, don't come around here anymore. Oh, man, how in the world would we ever not want Jesus around? Don't we want him more than anything? Aren't we asking him to show up? Like, Jesus, please come here. I don't want to come in this house if you don't. I want you in my town. Jesus, please come to Sacramento. Please come to my neighborhood. Please come to where there's broken people and great needs. Please change the world. Please set people free. What can I do? Well, maybe I could give $100 for a kid to go to camp because I'm less concerned about my possessions than I am that person who may have an encounter with the living God and be set on a powerful mission. Let me wrap up with this story in chapter 9. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. Now he goes from one side of the lake back to the other. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to man." In the Gospels, some of the Gospels tell the same story from a different point of view. In Mark's Gospel, this same story is told, but he adds some more details. And he says, they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men, and when they could not get near him because of the crowd, Jesus was in a home talking to many people. They removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Then Mark says the same that Matthew says. 
of the encounter that he had. He saw the faith of these four men and the paralytic man and forgives him his sins and then heals him of his paralysis. And it's amazing the moment. Here's some lessons from this. Jesus is moved by our faith, even on behalf of others. These four men, four friends of the paralyzed man, they were exercising great faith that they were going to come and actually not be stopped from getting this man into the presence of Jesus. Jesus saw their faith. Seeing their faith, he forgave the man. The paralytic man had to be experiencing, expressing faith too by allowing all this to happen. And yet it was their faith that is spoken of, seeing their faith, all of them. This is why our prayers matter. Our faith is being exercised when we pray because we're praying for others. Jesus is moved by our faith. I want to have more faith. I want to press in in my prayers all the more because Jesus will recognize what we are believing for and he's moved when he sees what's in our heart. I want to press into that. Sometimes I step away from it. I don't know if he'll do it. I, I'm wondering. I've got weak faith. The disciples always did too. He's like, oh, you have little faith. How many times has that said? I feel like, I feel like that's me. Come on. Oh, you have little faith. And when I get my mind wrapped around it, I know he can do anything, but then when I don't get my mind wrapped around it, I'm thinking, but yeah, it's just me, and I'm not that significant, and he might not do it for me. And it's a crazy world, and I don't understand it, and I don't understand God, and I, I don't understand what's going on, and all of a sudden, my faith shrinks. I wanna get back to the scriptures and get back in God's presence and have my faith begin to rise that it would be like these four guys. Who came up with this crazy idea? Which crazy man of those four said like, hey, we can't get in, but I got an idea. Let's get up on the roof. Like, really? And the other three are like, great idea? Or are they like, you're crazy? Somehow they agreed. What if they, how'd they get up there? Is it just one lifting up the other and then reaching down? Somehow they got all four guys up on top of the roof and they had ropes, I'm supposing, with some kind of blanket that this paralytic man is on, and they hoist that up, and they get him up there too, and then they start tearing away the roof, the grass hut, some of the mud, claws of dirt are starting to fall down into the crowd. The place is full, they can't even get inside. They're looking around like, is there an earthquake? The people inside must be going, what's going on? They're looking at Jesus, and Jesus is just smiling because he gets it. He knows what's going on. He can see it coming. So there's dirt and there's debris falling from the ceiling and all of a sudden there's a, a, a skylight. And they let this paralytic man down to the ground. The guy, he's gotta be thinking, I hope they don't drop me. He can't do anything about it, he's paralyzed. What are all these people thinking? Uh, somehow what Jesus saw was they're thinking great faith. And he saw their faith that this is, this is something that they worked up to do. Like This is a good idea. Apparently it was a great idea. Jesus liked it. And he forgives the man. And then in order to show the people that he really did have the power, he wasn't a blasphemer, that he really was the son of God. They knew that the only one who could forgive sins was the son of God. 
So Jesus says, so you know I can do that. I'll heal him too. And he tells him to get up and walk, and he does. What a scene. What a scene. It's just unbelievable. And now the people are getting excited about what they had seen and experienced. I want to get excited too. This is also a lesson in the importance of one another. This paralytic man had four good friends. I hope you do. I know I do. I have a small group of guys I do life with. I'm thinking they would do this for me. There's somebody crazy enough in that group that would take the lead and make something happen. We need each other. This is when we talk about small groups in church, this is why. Can't do this on our own. Sometimes we can't help ourselves. Sometimes we can't walk. We need somebody to carry us. We need someone to believe for us. We need someone to pray for us. So let's go. Together, let's find one another. Let's get together. What two safe plans have you laid? We need to think about stepping out of our comfort zone. We need to think about believing God for miracles. Where is Jesus saying, come on, trust me? Come on, trust me. We're going to step into next week, incarnate the theme that God has put on my heart, how we can be Jesus among the broken like he is. It's going to bring about opportunities for us to dream some dreams to step out of our comfort zone, to say, I can make a difference. I can go into some places and tear off some roofs. I can let some people down into the presence of Jesus. What can I do to make a difference for somebody? Let's not play it safe. Let's hear Jesus say, come on, trust me, and then let's do it. Lord Jesus, we trust you right now with your word and your spirit. We pray you give us power over darkness. We know you have it. Help us, Lord, to identify where we sometimes miss miss the mark and let the enemy mess with us. Show us how to press into you instead. I pray you set us free from darkness. Set us free from evil, the evil one. We want to follow you. If you need his grace in your life, just receive him right now. Ask for his forgiveness as he forgave this man, the paralytic, he forgive you and me. Jesus, I believe in you as the Son of God. Thank you for dying for me to pay for my sins. I accept your gift of eternal life, and I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.